Welcome to the Daniel McInnes Podcast, a podcast for small businesses who are seeking great practical advice about marketing and sales. Danielle thinks like a customer. Even as a little kid, she always has shown deep empathy for others. Dan uses this customer insight to help small businesses create practical marketing strategies that work. Using this customer-centric approach and her 20 years' experience in sales and marketing, Dan takes what is in your head, adds her expertise to create a system to assist you make better marketing decisions, attracts a regular stream of ideal customers, and creates a brand that your employees and customers will love. Hope you enjoy this podcast. So thanks again for joining my podcast and I'm really delighted this week to introduce James Schramko. Um, He's a well-known internet marketeer. Um, So welcome, James. Oh, thanks, Danielle. Look, James, I've been following you for some time now and I've really looked forward to interviewing you. Um, I sort of love to immerse myself in the world of marketing and I've heard you on the big um, small business big marketing um, podcast with Tim and Luke and probably more recently Ocean Freedom which is a podcast um, more based I guess around internet marketing um, and I just thought to myself I've got to get this guy on and maybe it's not necessarily for the reason you might think of first which you know is your internet marketing savvy I think that real thing that really um, attracted me to you was you know you've no doubt got the skill as an internet marketer but I really think that what comes across when I've heard you speak either through your products or through these podcasts is you strike me as a really creative strategic thinker and I think the other thing that really came across and was really impressive to me was the fact that you are really authentic Um, and I think that's a bit novel so I'm really delighted to have you on I wondered whether you could just give our listeners a bit of a level set on you know where you've come from and and how you got into what you're doing now sure well i went through um uh, after school i basically did some accounting which i really sucked at (laughs) and uh, i I went and got a job in debt collection in the corporate side of stuff so you know from a telephone call center Uh and I i went from that through to credit and finance through to technology and that's where I started getting exposed to the sales field and from when I really needed to make a whole lot more money because uh, my wife and I were having a baby I had to quit that administrative job and actually go and get a sales job and I started selling BMW cars Mm -hmm. and I rode that sales job right through to sales management uh, general management and my last role was running Mercedes-Benz dealerships and I uh, worked in three Mercedes-Benz dealerships in Sydney in my, in my last 10 years of working. And eventually I decided to strike out on my own. So I set up a business called Superfast Business. And I didn't really know what it was going to do. It sort of started when I got contracted to uh, speak to one of my clients about sales and marketing. I held a little workshop, so I bought a laptop and registered a business and I went and did the consult with the permission of my employer. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the company was formed about six or seven years ago now. And eventually this internet thing crept in and I could actually see this is a great vehicle for me to apply my sales and marketing and management knowledge into a whole worldwide marketplace. You know, I can sell anything to anyone 
so I could, you know, it was sort of a sexy thought, mm-hmm. yeah. especially when, when it was so obvious to me that when, when I was stuck in my job, I could really only sell to the very local market, um, mm-hmm. one particular brand, so it was very limiting. So it just opened up that whole world, and I, I was able to practice. In my last role, I was responsible for the website and the marketing of the business, so we had a, a marketing budget and we had, you know, we ran launches and did all the different marketing channels, probably most of the stuff you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really got to tweak and play around with that website and I applied all the things I was learning and we started getting significantly better results than our peers who were not interested at all in the internet at the time. Mm-hmm. And I started doing it for myself after hours and the bottom line is my after hours business started making me more money than my day-to-day job mm-hmm. and it, it sort of it was that tipping point where wow I could actually do this I could do this for myself without having the job at all and that's really how my business was born and it's been uh, just a little over three years now since I walked out of my last job. Wow what a great story you know what strikes me James is you know obviously it was sort of rooted in the idea that you had to you know provide for your family so, you know, that transition into sales. But that next transition into running your own business is often a big, scary, hairy thought for a lot of people. Um, but what was, the, what was the real motivation for you to then make that? I mean, obviously the money was there, but what else was, you know, part of that transition of moving from working for someone else to working for yourself? Well, I just kept reading the books and understanding that the only way to build real wealth is to have a business mm-hmm. um, and being an employee unless you're going to run a bank or be a radio jock or something there, there are some employee roles that pay huge money mm-hmm. but I couldn't see that being obvious for me mm-hmm. it's much easier for me to start and build my own business that's worth something and, it, and I build out little divisions of it strategically that I could sell off mm-hmm. for multiples of their profit. So I've actually been able to accumulate a huge asset base and cash flow in a short amount of time without having to be a superstar radio jock or without having to be a, a triple university black belt, uh, you know, CEO, director of a massive publicly listed company or something, which is really the only way you make a lot of money as an employee. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, well, what struck me in so in parallel about my sort of story was it made me think about my life at HP, you know, similar sort of role as a BDM and a product manager and as you were saying, you know, confined to this certain area of selling, you know, through a channel or through through their rules, you know, through the way that they wanted me to do it. And my biggest frustration, I guess I wasn't necessarily looking at wealth creation, I was really looking at I couldn't get to the customer. I couldn't actually give them what I wanted because I was hamstrung because of, you know, all of this red tape. And so for me, you know, starting this journey and the way I would describe you is really an entrepreneur, you know, and being able to, you know, forecast your future or or plan the way that you, you know, want to run your life and your business was really driven out of, you know, that enthusiasm to get as close to the customer as I could. And, and, you know, doing this consulting gig gives me that opportunity and, I, yeah, it was really interesting. I, I think I've listened to a couple of interviews that with you that you've sort of made a comment that, you know, time equals life. And I'd really like 
you to explain that a little bit more in terms of your, you know, how you use your time and what's different for you in that transition now? Well, when I was shunting off to work every day in the morning, waving goodbye to the family at 7.30 or 8 o'clock and driving out the drive yeah. and not coming home till 7.30 or 8 o'clock that night, and I was doing that probably six days a week, it really did make me feel as though my life was on hold and that I'm just grinding it out like Groundhog Day. Yeah. And now it's a completely different story. So the, the whole point is probably something I did slightly different to you is my motivation wasn't to get closer to the customer. My motivation really was to get away from the customer uh, a little bit and mm -hmm. to set myself one level above the business where possible so that I could actually create and grow something that can work without me. Yeah. That's really the, the core thing that I've implemented and that, that I work and strive towards. It's, it's always this challenge. How can I grow this thing without it relying upon me? And I've effectively done that in my job. I worked myself out of a job almost. I've made systems and, I'm, and I hired people and I had things relatively autonomous compared to a lot of micromanagers. Mm -hmm. And when I got my own business it was such a brutal shock because it was me doing everything yeah. uh, in the beginning until a few years down the track here we are and I've got a lot of other people helping me in my business allowing me to step back away from it a, a little bit so I really do think I mean when you're out of time or your time is up you're basically dead so you might as well enjoy yourself a little bit while you're here and having been able to quit full-time work in my 30s, I really am exploiting the benefits of that. Now, with, with four kids and, uh, you know, a wife, I'm basically enjoying a lot more time with them and doing a lot of the things that I just couldn't do when I was stuck in an office building up somebody else's business. Absolutely. And what a fantastic thing. I mean, you know, to be able to do the stuff that you really want to do and, and really choose, you know, I say no, no, I'm not doing that, I want to go and do this and I think there's a lot of small businesses out there that are stuck in that grind, you know, that grind where they're enslaved to their business. Um, or to a bureaucratic large organisation, you know, for, for, your, for anyone who's worked for a multinational, yeah. you know, we know, what, we know what that's like. Absolutely. And, and one of my mentors taught me a lot about compromise and ultimately running your own business is removing most of the compromise that comes with being stuck in a system of some kind. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I guess that's what I'm enjoying at the moment. However, I'm you know taking on board that some of this stuff I have to say no and outsource if I can get back to what I'm really good at, which is this strategic stuff. I mean, I can't do the implementation and everything and, and still do what I really love. So I think that's a really good lesson. What 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 I'd be interested in talking to you about is you, you obviously love this strategic stuff and building things and your creativity comes through to me um, a lot. Tell me a little bit more about this this part of your business in terms of the approach, your product generation approach and, and sort of, you know, paint a picture for us about your day. What does it look like, James? Uh, well, there's sort of two separate questions. I'll answer the first one about product creation. Yep. Usually my process is, uh, it revolves around problem solving. Firstly, that's sort of my philosophy on sales. That was 
really successful for me when I was selling. Uh, and that's problem solving. So I have a problem solving approach. And usually I solve a problem for myself first. And then when it works, I roll that out to my friends and peers and, and customers who are more than often interested in me helping them solve their problems as well. So that's the core for a lot of my products. Mm-hmm. My last product was about traffic. And I literally took my own internal processes and documented them with the help of my team and then published them for my customers and we've sold a couple of thousand copies of that product in the last few months so generally I find if I've got a product that needs solving you know a problem that needs solving that that would also be handy to people who are in a similar situation to me so anyone with a website needs traffic so if I'm going to dedicate myself to identifying the best traffic strategies trying different tools, um, working out processes, then then I'll document it and then share it as a product and I'll monetize it. So I guess it's me figuring out how to get an re- extra return on my investment of time and energy. So not just the first payoff in my own business, but the second payoff when I monetize that by letting it go. And then there's a third payoff where there's a lot of associated services and recommendations that people can follow that I've already tested or that I provide that grow my business as well. So it's actually quite a, it's a great feeling to be able to add value to others, but at the same time, make a profit from it. Absolutely. And I can attest traffic grab, which I have bought (laughs) and utilized is fantastic. I mean, the information that you provide in that is so detailed. And you know what I really love, James? I love that you provide it to me in the way I want to have it provided. So, you know, whether it's a PDF or an MP3 or slides, you know, you've got it all covered, which is just awesome. And what what it leads me to believe is you have actually put yourself inside those customer shoes and you have given it a lot of consideration what you're presenting. It's top quality content, premium content, and frankly, look, I can't rave about it highly enough. I've used it. It has definitely changed my approach to traffic. Um, so it's, you know, it's really, it's a really great product actually. So what's, um, so what's next in terms of the things, you know, the problems that you're trying to solve for, for the next thing that you're creating? Uh, currently, I'm doing a whole uh, a whole new level of innovation in my business. I'm taking it to the next stage with things like email list segmentation. I'm moving around my assets online, like domains and websites. I'm I'm figuring out new uh, server requirements. I've got a whole wave of customer service innovations. So we've got help desk. Uh, live chat, telephone numbers. We're just testing different things there to see how we can best communicate with our customers. Yeah. We're also uh, bringing in probably a dozen or so new services and products that revolve around the core products that we have. So they're sort of related, but the next logical step. So, for example, with the traffic product that we've published, a lot of people are asking me if we could do the spaghetti bowl process for them. And for people who, who don't have traffic grab, that they won't understand what that means, but it's basically the, it's a part of our traffic system is to, to uh, go out to certain places and do certain things. Now, we've put together a done-for-you package for that. So we'll actually do it for the customer now. So we're, we're actually opening up our spaghetti bowl service 
mm. uh, within a week from now. So that's an example of where, you know, it's, we always know what the next logical thing should be. So it's, it's a matter of just putting that into the production line process and then just rolling it out. Absolutely. Like you said before, sort of level one is you and level two is maybe the product and level three is how do we augment that so that we can make it tangible for them, which is, you know, it's just a logical process, I, I guess. But Everything's I, quite straightforward when you sit down and think about it. Well, it's always obvious. <laughs> it is, but it's interesting. One of the things that um, I really love about what you do and you've spoken about this a lot and it's one of the things that I do but God knows a lot of people don't do this, which is measurement. And you talk about this a lot in terms of, you know, whether it's your website having Google Analytics or whether it's knowing, you know, more about your customers. And I just think, you know, you are so right. And for me, I mean, how can you make good decisions if you don't have the information? And so I'd really love to to have your take on that and what you're measuring and what you think is important to measure. Yeah, I think I could probably guess at why some people don't do it. One is they haven't experienced the benefits of it enough to know that it's a good thing. Yeah. And two is perhaps they're ignorant to the whole concept. Uh, or three is it does sound like hard work and it's a little bit un, unsexy as a topic. Yeah. <laughs> now, when I started my business, I was doing the usual early business scrabble to just go broad and just get my finger in as many pies as I can. And that's, that's, you know, just because you want to roll out fast and, and with passion. The next phase was really to start to, okay, what have I actually got here? And to identify it. So uh, yesterday, for example, there was a Google PageRank update on websites. Mm-hmm. This morning when I checked my uh, iPhone, you know, first thing, I could see that my team had gone and run a spreadsheet of every website we own and what the page rank was and what it now is. And they were able to measure the increase in power across our network of blogs. So that's an example of something we would measure. Absolutely. Now, yeah. now that we know what's changed, we can make decisions and react accordingly. Uh, so that's actually increased the value of our portfolio substantially. But it also opens up a new opportunity for us, for one of our businesses, uh, to use those properties in, as an asset. And I, I probably will cover these things somewhere in our discussion, but quite often your average business is sitting on a whole bunch of assets that they haven't tapped into because they don't really have a way to, to measure or know if they're, if they're being utilised or not. Yeah. So the sort of things I would measure are help desk tickets. So what are people saying? and how often do they submit, what's broken in the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would measure how many subscribers I have in my email database because that's a pretty key metric. You can work out from that, uh, you know, especially looking at unsubscribes, that's another metric. Some people don't want to know about negative feedback, but you do need to keep an eye on what's broken, why do people leave, because they're telling you what to change or what to adapt to make it a better experience for them next time. Yeah. I also measure uh, profit. You know, I like to measure profit and so I keep an eye on the shopping cart to see what the sales are and what you know what's selling. And I actually trace back to find out where, where the sale came from. I really measure back to the source. Mm. And I can do that in, with various different methods, but it's absolutely critical to know where the sales are coming from so that you can go and get more like that. 
So if I'm getting a whole bunch of sales from Facebook, then I'd be crazy not to go and up my Facebook campaign. I'd go to my Facebook ads and I'd say, right, well, let's do 10 times more than this because whatever we're doing is working. Can we scale it up? Mm-hmm. And in, in the online world, probably in the, in the normal business, there's some parts of a business that are not so profitable and there are other parts that are highly profitable. And the, the, um, the real goal, I mean, the obvious thing is obviously scale up the really profitable parts. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is, even if you have something that's mildly profitable, if you can do the mildly profitable thing as well as the highly profitable thing, you actually get more profit. And a lot of people miss that. They sort of dump a so-so profitable thing to focus only on the highly profitable thing. And I suggest focus on all the profitable things. Mm. And measurement allows you to do that because you know exactly what's happening. Absolutely. Look, it just keeps... I, I often find I mean, this is something that I do with my clients as soon as I get them on is like I ask them when the last time they spoke to their customer you know me James being very customer centric you know have you had a chat with them lately do you know how they feel about you do you know what they think about you and if they don't I often do an online survey because you know the words that they use are often the the sort of like little little insights on how they can make big improvements and if nothing else it often is a lead generation tool I mean, often there's an unmet met need that they can go back and service because I deal mostly with service-based businesses. And so I totally agree with these little insights. I mean, they just make such a big impact in how you run your business. So totally agree with that. Getting back to the small business that might be listening to this and they might be listening to what you're saying and going, well, you know, that sounds good, but look, I'm just... I'm just trying to get through the day here. I'm listening to this information and thinking, oh, this is a bit beyond me. How can how can small businesses take some of this strategic stuff and work out what they should be doing and what they perhaps would or ought to outsource? Yeah, I mean, look, if someone's sitting there thinking, gosh, I can hardly get through the day, I think, well, your business is totally broken. Yeah. Not much of a business manager yet. Yeah. But there's there's hope for you. I mean, the idea really is to try and step away from it a little bit, automate as much as you can, and set up systems and procedures, and and be able to monitor it. I mean, your job really is to just keep an eye on the life support system, not to be the life support system. So, uh, step one is to recognise you're not there yet. Okay. Because that's no way to run a business. Really, you've just got a job. If, if the thing needs you to turn up to make money, you have a job, not a business. So that's step one. Yeah. And, I, and probably I'm not going to be Mr. Popular with that sort of comment, but anyway, it's the fact. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, uh, but, you know, like I've really dedicated years to trying to automate as many processes and systems as possible. So, And you can automate a human business. You just need... You need uh, to set guidelines and hire the right people and have strategies. So first thing is know your customer. Make sure that you're actually serving the right thing and and that you are addressing their concerns and that you've got the right products and services for them because you probably haven't right now, but it's easy to adjust that. Secondly, measure everything so that you can get a baseline for what you're doing right now as the starting point and then when you make changes you can see if that's a good change or a bad change. Yeah. And then the next step is to say, right, well what can be systemized, automated, eliminated, delegated, just get rid of it off your plate if you possibly can. 
and sometimes that will mean you've got to you've probably got to do something like hire somebody and go through that little bit of early startup niggle where you have to do everything the slow way and, and train someone and see if they've got the hang of it before you can step back. There will be a little bit of startup pain, but in the midterm, it'll actually be way better for you. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I've got a whole team in another country who are virtually autonomous. They can run with me or without me. And by setting good guidelines, doing good training in the start, and having metrics that we can you know, observe, like a daily activity report, it's quite easy to power up your business without you having to do all of the work because it's just not feasible. No. Uh, and, and then I would say look around your business and find out what's sitting there idle or, or not being used properly that could be used or, or tapped into for no extra cost that you can pull some extra profit from the business. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think they're really good tips and I think it, you know, it helps to have someone sort of say that to you because you're so sometimes immersed in it that you don't sort of stand back and get that a thousand feet view, you know, you don't actually see yourself and how you're actually behaving until somebody sort of points it out and says that there's a better way. <laughs> well, it happened to me when I was in America, I was... I was on my, uh, you know, I was running my Mercedes dealership and I was on about $300,000 a year here in Sydney. And I was over there visiting and I was sitting next to a guy on an aeroplane who was making $100,000 a month. And it really was like a little virtual slap in the head saying, what are you doing? There's people out there making a million dollars a year for their own business and you're getting a third of that as a PAYE salary employee. And then I met a guy who was, doing up to $100,000 a day in sales. Wow. And, and then that really gave me the perspective to say, well, you know, like I'm almost a loser on this 300 grand a year, but I'm totally underselling myself. Mm. And the fact is you can, you can 10x your salary. Whatever, you, whatever you're on right now, it's, it's almost impossible that you can't increase it if you're open to the idea that you're not peaked yet you haven't actually you don't know everything there is to know you don't have the ideal system in place because we probably never will so some of my influencers people like Eli Goldratt uh, who wrote books like The Goal and um, The Choice and Theory of Constraints he's always got this assumption that there's always more to get there's always more that you can go out and get and quite often it's sitting under your nose and it's usually obvious Mm. Well, what strikes me, James, is um, that you seem to have this real investment mindset and I mean investment in terms of investment in yourself, your education and also in your business. You know, I've heard you talk about, you know, Max as a necessary tool and, and that sort of thing and I think that that's a really big mind shift. I've made that mind shift probably only six months ago where I've just said this is ridiculous. I don't have to start everything from scratch. I don't have to have every answer. What I have to do is make the right decisions about what I choose to invest in, but I have to invest. So I'd really be interested in, you know, in your thoughts about, you know, that that mindset and whether you've always had that or if that's just something that's come about through you, you know, educating yourself and, and your journey. 
Yeah, probably if I reflect back, I've probably had examples where investments have been able to speed things up. Probably the, the most basic investment that I've made with such a huge payoff is just buying books. Yeah. I've got quite a decent book library, business book library. And I know a lot of adults just don't read business books at all. And maybe if you're lucky, you go, you got to look at someone's business bookshelf and you can pretty much guess Pretty much, tells you. <laughs> pretty much tells you what they're like, doesn't it? That's right. Well, poor people have big TVs and rich people have uh, big libraries. <laughs> One of the, the things that, you know, I, it often strikes me, you know, as curious. Like, you look at taxi drivers, they're on the road the most and they have the shittiest cars. Yeah. Now, if you're going to be on your computer a fair bit in my business, you get a bigger computer screen and you get a proper supportive chair and you get the fastest internet connection you can afford because that is going to save you a lot of time wasted to sitting there trying to look at the screen or, or getting a sore back or whatever. So anything you can do that's obvious to improve your capacity, that's what you should invest in. If it's, and, and luckily I had an uncle who was a very switched on economics advisor. He used to advise the, the prime ministers of our country. Wow. And he told me when I was about 18, he said, just skill your brain up as much as you can and get the highest possible paid job that you can because once you get a really high paid job, mm-hmm. it's portable knowledge, everyone else will want to hire you and you'll be able to buy anything you want quickly. You'll be able to buy houses or cars or whatever if you're on a massive salary. Mm-hmm. And I've got that whole idea that when you read a book or you study something or you think about stuff, that, that skill is portable and true to his advice, you know, I was able to take those sales skills from one job to another and management skills from one job to another. And more or less over the last three years, I've recreated my previous role but in my own business instead of somebody else's and with, with different products and services but the same, same mindset, the same ethos. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. Most people are stuck in that expense land. Everything's mm. an expense. And you know why? Because there's all this BS stuff that companies talk about budgets. Yeah. Budget is another word for a cover your ass fund that you have to spend or else we'll sack you. <laughs> and yeah. when people are trained in the system like that, they don't ever think about investments and return on investment and actual bottom line profit. You know, and... and you know what I'm talking about. Some know. some department, they'll have, you know, even Mercedes spends like that. We had to spend 1% of our sales turnover on marketing. That was our marketing budget. And my argument would be, well, okay, so $50 million sales, we, we would have to spend like $5 million on marketing. But what if we could spend $20 million and make $200 million? Wouldn't we be better to do that? But that would exceed the budget and it would it would be out of whack with their requirements. So yeah. if you're in a budget or expense mindset, you've got to throw it away. It's not going to get you wealthy. You need to move more to investment and think about return on investment and try wherever possible to get a multiple payoff for your investment, not just the one time, but either recurring or uh, leverage by taking it, your, your investment to the next stage. So, for example, if you were to spend $10,000 and learn from someone how to be a great platform speaker, mm-hmm. you could you could invest that and, and then go out and speak and make that $10,000 back, but you could also put together some notes of your $10,000 training 
and put together a little mini course for small businesses who want to learn how to go and really smash it when they go to their uh, local commerce meetings. And because you've taken that investment and now turned it not only into your own speaking, but you can also leverage that into a product or service that can help your immediate customers. So that's, that's really a leverage way of thinking. And look, I just look, I just love it. <laughs> I read this book. I read this book. I think it, I'm trying to find it on my bookshelf. It's something like the the 10x effect or something like that, which is the same principle. You know, take something, times it by 10. Now, what do you need? And I, I just, as soon as I bought my Mac, and to be honest, I bought it at the start of the year. I just said to my husband, "Look, I'm just, I need a Mac. I'm just going to go buy it." <laughs> and you know, my whole world changed, James, within. I don't know, probably two weeks after my sister rolling her eyes, who's been a Mac user for 10 years, who, who does some editing for Channel 7 and freelancers, says, you know, you need a Mac. And, and just it wasn't even buying the Mac. It was the fact that I said, you know what, I'm going to start investing in myself. And like you, I read prolifically and I, you know, I use audible.com because I can't read enough, my eyes get too tired, but I want to listen to the content. And, you know, there's podcasting, there's so much information um, that I have to be really careful and selective now that, you know, I don't become one of these junkies. <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying to be a bit more selective about what I actually listen to. But the information is there and I think it's such a wonderful opportunity because the world is our library now. And so, you know, that, that that's a fantastic thing. But this mindset shift for me has absolutely changed my business. Financially, it's changed it, but it's also made it a lot more fun. I mean, it's a lot oh, yeah. more fun to do it this I mean, way. I just decided yesterday that I really need to go back over to Manila to visit my team because I've got a few new team members I haven't met yet. And you know, that's a business investment. It might cost, well, let's say it costs six or $7,000. Yeah. But that will be a, a business trip to meet my team who are working on my business every single day. Absolutely. Uh, every, you know, Monday to Friday, they're amazing people. And, you know, just to, at the spur of the moment to decide to fly overseas, is it is kind of fun. And, uh, you know, if I want to go and attend something in another country, I'll just go to it. If I want to start shooting green screen films at home, I'll just log on and find some lights and cameras and tripods and I'll just invest in it. Because once you've got the mechanism to take that investment and leverage it and actually get a return on it, then yeah. it's no longer an expense. It's really just like accelerating the, um, the whole machine. And it is actually fun buying things. Yeah, <laughs> I get a big kick out of it. I, I saw on the website the other day, you know, I know you're a big proponent of a whiteboard and, and me too, you know, I go into everyone. I say, where's your whiteboard? I, I'm not coming. Just get a whiteboard. But now I've heard that there's this special whiteboard paint and you can actually paint a wall of your office. I'm so keen. I'm going to get this. Um, so I'm really into, you know, the, the, these companies that are creative and trying to make things easier and more fun. It's a big part of the way I like to live anyway. But I, I just had two questions because I'm conscious of time that I, I wanted to touch on. From a small business point of view, I think that what's happening is, you know, we're moving from this um, time, I guess, where we're trying to find information to, okay, we can find it now. Now we have to sort sort it and we have to curate it and try and work out and to sort 
disseminate what's crap and what's really valuable you know to put it bluntly that's where we are i think most people now know to go to google if they're going to find anything review something search for something i mean god my five-year-old does it i'm sure all your kids are into it so uh, that's where we are I, i think the big issue for small business still is mentality of that they know now small business know that they're actually trying to sort out what's good and what's not and I just wondered from your opinion you know we've talked about not starting from scratch and and being you know an investment mindset in terms of actually investing in information products like you have or trying to work out where they go and buy or get a website if they know it's not their core ability how do they work out now you know what what to invest in how do they make those decisions uh, we'll start with referrals. I mean, if they're listening to this, they're obviously starting with a good information source because you've filtered and sifted. You've already done the legwork. You consume sure. information. Sure. And they're probably listening to your podcast because they trust you and the information you've given them before is good. People seem to be very opportunistic. They're always looking for the shortcut and they... They haven't set very good filters. That's why they can't answer their emails. Their emails are just absolutely full, brimming. Yeah. Probably have no chance of even getting it. In fact, I bet you there's people listening who spend four or five hours a day just going through their emails. Absolutely. And not actually getting anything done at all. And that's because they've allowed too many things to come into the inbox. Yeah. So firstly... You've got to be like a dam. You've got to switch out that huge reservoir of information and only trickle in the good stuff. Secondly, find your trusted sources, your reliable supply channels, and take referrals. If you have a friend who's having a particularly successful website, ask them where they got it done or if they're happy with the people. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, if you have a friend who is an advisor or a specialist in in a certain group of business areas, then take their advice, you know, if you're looking for an accountant or whatever. So I will generally go word of mouth. Mm-hmm. When I'm looking at getting new tools and resources, I just quickly ask a couple of my friends, have you heard of this? What's your, what are your thoughts? And that, they'll almost always tell me instantly if there's a fatal flaw or if they've had a very good experience, and that will guide me quickly. Mm. Um, the other thing I do sometimes is I actually send it off to my team and I say, hey, um, can you please investigate this, do some research and come back to me with some bullet point recommendations? And they will do it. They'll, they'll spend, uh, you know, a day or two looking up all the available options and narrow it down to the, the, the few things that could be considerations and then we'll implement. And I'll actually empower them to implement as well. That's so just, just you know, right now we're looking at a, at a pretty cool solution that will save us a lot of expense and time because it consolidates a few activities that we're doing and we've got the idea now we're just researching it and I'd say by tomorrow we'll probably have started the implementation and by the end of the week we'll have a new system for our whole team which will give us all you know the next level of growth. Um, and that's what I love about you I mean you really are you know um you know, are we ready and sort of fire and let's work it out approach, which I really love. And in terms of that, you know, how do I work out what I should buy, I think the other thing I'm seeing is, you know, whether it's on LinkedIn or Facebook, people can just get that word of mouth so quickly. I mean, the tools are there, to, whether you're having a conversation face-to-face. I saw on LinkedIn the other day through a local council um, network that I'm on, somebody wanting a cleaner 
for their personal business. I thought, God, how clever is that? Because somebody on that site's going to know someone that can do that for them and they're taking that word of mouth and sort of, you know, using the, the communication devices to do it, which I thought, you know, that's... that's well, really... Facebook's great for that and, and yeah. you, can, um, you can also poll. You can do a little poll in Facebook. Yeah. Make sure you close the poll off. Don't let people add questions. You'll get spammed. <laughs> Good tip there, James. Um, so when I was preparing Traffic Grab, I actually polled my customers and said, do you like training videos to have music in the background or not? And that was a clear winner. I said, no, no music. Let me choose my own music. Thank you very much. <laughs> Don't so, annoy me. <laughs> so it's, it's really just uh, slides with me talking and there's no background track at all. And that was because the customers voted for that. It's really customer-centric. So I've got two last questions. One was, um, and you sort of touched on some of this, but I wanted to ask you, you know, what were some key tips for small businesses that they could do today to improve their, their marketing? Um, and then the, and maybe if you answer that and then I'll ask you sort of the last question. So you've touched on a few things, but, um, you know, if you're a small business listening to this today and, and thinking about marketing or internet marketing, what are some tips or takeaways that you might have for them? Okay, well, here's some sort of... Firstly, know who your customer is because that's really important yeah. so that you're talking to the right person. And identify... Probably identify what the easiest, most logical implementation is to start with and just start with that. Yeah. Don't feel as though you have to have the whole game lined up, you know, the next 27 shots. Just... Strike out with the first thing. For most people, it will be either, you know, setting up their first website or if they've got a website, it might be figuring out how to get more traffic to the website. So it'll be something pretty big and major like that. Yeah. If they've got a website and they're getting traffic but no conversions, it might be, well, what can we do to our website to make it actually work, to make that phone ring? Gee, maybe we should put our phone number on the, on the top <laughs> right-hand side of it instead of welcome to my website, which is the most redundant, obvious waste of text in the world absolutely so um so if people want to get some more of you and want to use some of your products what is what are some things that we can talk about that tools and and information products and things that you have for small businesses that they could use well for small businesses i think probably the most common things that we're supplying would be websites <laughs> we'd supply websites from super fast websites and for people who already have websites, we also supply search engine optimization. So we actually get them backlinks pointing to their site so that their site gets pushed up in the search results because everyone wants to rank on the top page of Google. And for local businesses, it's actually fairly easy. And for competitive businesses, it takes a little bit longer, but we have a business called SEO Partner. And seopartner.com is... Uh, it's. It's actually pretty much a wholesale supply service, so it's more designed for people who sort of know what they're doing. A lot of our people buy our services and then resell it for a, an increased margin. Mm -hmm. But anyone listening to this could go direct, and it's sort of like going to Campbell's Cash and Carry or, or direct to the wholesaler. Um, so it's a little bit less explanation of what's going on, but it's a very well-priced supply service. So really all you've got to know is your website and what key phrases you're keen to rank in Google for and we help you by doing the rest. Great. 
Well, I think there's, that's two really relevant things that people can, you know, take on board straight away. Um, my last question is, you know, and you spoke about this bit a little bit before, but I'd be really interested in, you know, who you're following, who your thought leaders are or what are you reading at the moment? Well, I, I always like Peter Drucker. His material is timeless. He yeah. predicted the knowledge worker a long time ago, I think in the 60s. Mm. And he has books like The Effective Executive. Um, he's got a very business-centric view. You know, it really helps people create good businesses because you're doing what's right for the business, not what's right for the shareholder or what's right for the owner of the business. It's what's best for the business. And he's all about marketing and innovation. So probably two things that I harp on about, it's really come to me from Peter Drucker. Mm. The other guy that I really admire and uh, have had in personal discussions with is Jay Abraham. His material is great to really explode your mind about the possibilities of what you can do with your existing business. His, his, his favourite book, and my favourite, is um, called "Getting Everything You Can Out of uh, Getting all, Getting Everything Getting Everything You Can Out of All You Got" or "Getting All You Got Out of Everything You Got," something like that. Yeah, that's It was his favourite, and uh, it was probably the book that helped me quit my job because the last chapter is about identifying your perfect people to work for and then approaching them and that that's really the whole concept of instead of waiting for someone to ask for you you just go and decide what you want and then get it and I really like that idea and we can all do that if we want to let go of being this prisoner and and uh, subservient type thing and decide to be an entrepreneur and step up to the plate it's right there to get and the third guy that I follow is um, Eli Goldratt, who recently passed away, but really good uh, business advisor, especially good at, at capacity and process management. And what you find is as you grow a business, you start to have a more involved um, management chain and process-driven sort of business. Mm. This thing will help you identify what's holding your business back and to put all your efforts towards overcoming that so that it can grow to the next stage. To sort of a, The choice was a good book. Well, thanks for that and I'll put the links to those books and um, to your products. I think the Superfast website is an awesome one to start with for small business and also Traffic Grab. So I'll put both of those because, um, you know, I think they're really great starting points for small business and I thank you so much for your time James you've been very generous and I'll be following you with great enthusiasm and on Facebook um, and I really thank you again for your time today oh it's my pleasure hey thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast for more great marketing tips go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time.
Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time. Thank you.